Welcome to the Bulletin of Spanish Studies podcast. I'm Gemma McKenna, Assistant Editor at the Bulletin and your host. This time we are lucky enough to be talking to three wonderful academics who work tirelessly with us at our journals as we begin our celebrations of 100 years of the Bulletin of Spanish Studies. Happy birthday to us. I am joined by Professor Joe Evans of University College London, our co-editor-in-chief and founder of our sibling journal back in 2015, the Bulletin of Spanish Visual Studies. Dr. Charlotte Gleghorn, Senior Lecturer in Latin American Film Studies at the University of Edinburgh, and Dr. Hilary McCartney, Art Historian from the University of Glasgow and Director of the Sterling Maxwell Research Project there. Hello everyone, thanks for joining me. If I can first bring in Joe Evans to tell us a little more about how we're planning to foreground all things visual at our online conference next month as part of our Bulletin celebrations this year. And for those of you who don't know, Joe Evans is Professor of Spanish Language, Film and Culture at University College London. Her research is focused on feminist and psychoanalytical theory, women authors and film. She recently directed a three-year Leverhulme Trust-funded research project on Luis Buñuel, among many, many other things. So we are delighted to have Joe with us this morning. So Joe, uh, maybe you can tell us about the plans for our online conference in May. Lovely. Thank you so much, Gemma, um, both for organising the podcast and for all your work on the preparations for our celebrations in May. So as you've said, this year is our centenary. Um, and it's the centenary of what I'm guessing is one of, if not the oldest, academic journals of Hispanic studies in the world. So it's very exciting. And I thought I'd start with a little bit about our founder. So the Bulletin was founded, of course, in 1923 by a British professor of Hispanic studies at Liverpool University called E. Allison Piers. And he continued to edit it until his death in 1952. Um, obviously passionate advocate for higher education in general and also for Hispanic studies in particular. And his research focused on 19th century Spanish Romanticism and the 16th century Spanish mystics. So my own involvement with the journal began in 2013 although I was lucky enough to publish my first article with the Bulletin in the early 1990s. But in 2013, I was invited to join the editorial board to set up a sibling journal of Spanish visual studies. Ah, and so what was the rationale there? Why did you think there was a need for a separate journal? And what was it about 2013? What was about that time that it was the right time for that to happen? Well, it's, it is a, it's an interesting question um, because, of course, Hilary, who's with us today, already had a long association with the Bulletin as our history of art specialist. So it wasn't that the Bulletin had, had excluded visual studies prior to 2013. But I think this move to found a sibling journal is a reflection of the relationship that always exists, of course, between academic journals and the higher education institutions in their countries of origin. In fact, I discovered only recently preparing for today that our founder, Piers, himself wrote a number of books on British universities that he had to publish under a protective pseudonym. Mm -hmm. And I must go away and read them now. I know he had to write under a pseudonym. Anyway, the move to to found this separate journal um, on visual topics represents wider changes, both to the bulletin itself and to the academic discipline of Hispanic studies not least with reference, of course, to what Hispanic and or Spanish studies means for a journal that describes itself as a learned review dedicated to research into the languages, 
literatures, histories, cultures, and civilizations of Spain, Portugal, and Latin America. So we're very aware that this fact alone raises issues about Spanishness. But to come back to the question of Spanish visual studies, the sibling journal reflects changes to the focus of research among academics. So my own experience of studying Spanish at UK universities since the mid 1980s, I suppose, has seen a development from an initial focus on the Spanish language and the canonical writings of that language towards a more inclusive curriculum that recognizes the value of women's writing and that has gradually, as films became more widely available, introduced a focus at undergraduate level on film. And that also, of course, recognizes the importance of regional and First Nation languages and cultures. So the short answer to your question would be that the foundation of the Bulletin of Spanish Visual Studies reflects the blurring of the boundaries that once separated academic disciplines, such as history of art and modern languages. And with that in mind, our first visual issue invited a number of well-established UK academics to write about their experience of the development of visual studies throughout their careers. Mm -hmm. And that was, when did that happen, Joe? Was that that first issue, was it 2015? Yes, so we began preparations from 2013. As you know, these things take a while. And the first visual issue was in 2015 and the journal itself was founded from 2017 as a separate sibling journal. Fabulous. And those are all fascinating developments. Uh, How have they changed in the decades since those preparations for that first issue in 2013? Yes, it's funny. We're celebrating a centenary and a decade of the visual visual sibling journal. And it's amazing how quickly academic fields are changing. Um, And so when we were thinking of how we would celebrate this rather momentous event, our plans developed to include three separate events, one of which will be our online event, but that will also include a panel at the annual Association of Hispanists in the coming month, April, Mm -hmm. and an in-person event in Belfast in September at Queen's University, where the bulletin is now based. So our online event, um, we decided it would focus on visual studies, and then we gradually narrowed this down to three main sections, all of which are, of course, related to our own editor's areas of expertise, our own experience, and, of course, the availability of our fellow colleagues. So the three areas that we focused on, that we've come to focus on in relation to celebrating the changes over the decade and the the centenary that's passed, um, the rise of the scholarly video essay, the increasing use of virtual and digital media in our collaborations with museums as academics, and the way that a discipline that once focused on, if I can put this in inverted commas, Spanish studies, has grown over the last 100 years um, to focus on inclusion. Um, And so we've focused on inviting various people associated with those three different areas. Mm -hmm. And so who exactly is coming then to this event? Well, I selfishly took it as a really good excuse to invite people who work on areas that fascinate me, but that I haven't personally worked on before. And I think we've been incredibly lucky with availability and people who've agreed to take part. So we have two professors who began their academic careers in UK Hispanic studies, but they've both since branched out Mm -hmm. in their research and their jobs. So we have Professor Catherine Grant. She's been hugely influential on the rise of visual studies in UK universities, and she's the founder of the much admired website, Film Studies for Free. Mm -hmm. And she'll be in conversation with Professor Rob Stone, who's at Birmingham University, also hugely influential on the development of Spanish visual studies 
and who's moved from specializing on Spanish film to world cinema and independent US filmmakers. Then we have Dr. Maria Chiara D'Argenio, who's at University College, who will be providing an online introduction to a virtual screening of the film by the Peruvian director, Oscar Catacora. The film's called Winyo Pacha, or Eternity, and it's particularly important to us as a journal of so-called Spanish studies because this was the first film made entirely in Aymara. Then for our evening event, we're also delighted to welcome the Catalan director, Carla Simon, who'll be discussing her film Alcaraz, which will be screening to a public audience in Belfast and which will also be available online. So just briefly before I, before I conclude and let you move on, Carla recently won, many listeners will know, the Golden Bear at last year's Berlin Festival, yeah. Berlin Film Festival. So she's very much in demand, as are all our contributors, of course. So we're very, very glad that she'll be with us too. And then we have discussion by colleagues working on digital reconstruction and the representation of indigenous cultures on screen that Hilary and Charlotte will say more about. Excellent. It sounds fascinating. Thank you very much, Joe, for that. And I suppose now is the opportune moment to bring Charlotte Gleghorn in here. Your research, Charlotte, engages with the political work of cinema, its relationship to processes of memory, woman cinema and indigenous and Afro-descendant filmmaking. You're currently working on a monograph, Indigenous Cinematics, Authorship and Film in Native Latin America, which we are very much looking forward to reading when it comes out. So welcome here. So am I. (laughs) (laughs) You're looking forward to being finished, probably. Okay, so Jo has outlined some of the changes that she's witnessed in her career in relation to visual studies within language departments at UK universities. Can you highlight for us some of the developments that you've seen? Yeah, sure. So thanks for having me on the show today, Gemma. It's nice to be among esteemed colleagues at the Bulletin. My work has really been involved in film studies principally, film and media studies from different positions and different institutions. My doctorate was in Hispanic studies at Liverpool, and then I worked on a postdoctoral project at Royal Holloway, University of London, mm-hmm. um, where I was based in a drama and theatre department. And then subsequently, I joined the University of Edinburgh in 2013, where I'm back in what is now the Spanish, Portuguese and Latin American studies department. So I guess I've, I've had a, a chance to kind of move across some different spaces of yeah. audiovisual media. Mm-hmm. And certainly there's been a change, I think, in the integration of modern languages research and, and let's say, cultural studies-based approaches within film and media research more generally. It used to be very much the case that a lot of film and media courses were sustained, really, in teaching expertise from modern languages departments. Yeah. I think now film, film and media departments have also engaged more in actually thinking about different languages of knowledge production and mm-hmm different regional expertise I always felt a bit that in film studies uh, proper let's say or film and media studies there was a tendency to perhaps focus more on the on the formalist elements um, the aesthetic elements of film and media and uh, in language and cultural studies departments perhaps a a slightly overdetermined approach in terms of context reading Mm -hmm. culture through uh, film and media so Mm -hmm. In, in some ways, I've been trying to navigate between the two. And I think that's a really productive space to, to be in, to, to, you know, to, to be able to access as well the, the wealth of critical literature in Spanish and in Portuguese and in languages that are not English. And the bulletin, 
you know, publishes and in all those languages as well. Mm -hmm. And then really since 2009, my research has always engaged with authorship in in film, really in different ways, authorship and authority. Uh, And since 2009, I've been working on Indigenous filmmaking specifically and latterly on Afro-descendant filmmaking in Latin America as well. And both of these fields really push further the boundaries, I think, of the of say the Spanish in the bulletin or the the nature of the teaching curricula we have in our in our departments, because say at Edinburgh we teach perhaps the core curriculum in Spanish as well. Um, it means that it's quite difficult to integrate sometimes films that are not in those languages perhaps within our courses so um, navigating that has has been a a challenge but it's also an opportunity to to think about how these these terms really give kind of a context and a framework for um, for our work and they also project outwardly I guess to the to the students an idea of what is the what is the value of these of these subjects and how will it influence their understanding of the of the regions that they're coming into contact with and languages they're coming into contact with through the through the degree programs. Yeah. And I guess that helps keep it fresh and, and interesting because it's just changing all the time our understanding of of what that sort of Spanish was and is and becomes and, and how we navigate it and everything that's contained therein. And how do you think that students have reacted to these changes? I think by and large, very positively, there's an appetite and a need to understand audiovisual media in a world uh, like today's where really you need to be able to understand and and decode quite complex media and film texts. There's a a greater engagement with, I guess, the more nuanced understandings of film and media and what that can bring to their, their career prospects, but also just to their general cultural enrichment. And also an appetite for seeing more diverse stories and, and you know, and quest, questioning um, what is Spain, what is what is Latin America for style, what is Argentina? Yeah. Um, you know, think, thinking about all those nation, nation state, national frameworks and how they can be expanded or questioned or challenged is, is really at the centre of quite a lot of um, student preoccupations, I think. Yeah. And indigenous filmmaking and media has definitely seen kind of a more prominent um, position within modern languages departments, I think, recently, not only here, but in the US also. And you, you see that reflected in all sorts of ways in hiring patterns as well, that, that there's a real yeah. there's mm-hmm. a real interest in bringing First Nations voices to, to scholarship. Yeah. And of course, it's so interesting, too, that the times have moved forward, I'm sure, that now we have so much availability of, you know, through streaming and everything else that students can access all sorts of films from all over the world and podcasts and newspapers and content that previously they couldn't so things have become a lot more diverse and that makes a lot more interesting so in terms of what the students are really interested in today what do you think is at the is at the foreground i think definitely gender gender and sexuality representation in relation to film and media some of the age old kind of yeah, stereotypical themes, particularly in Latin American filmographies to do with drugs trafficking and violence persist, really. Yeah, so yeah, that, that yeah. There's, mm-hmm. there are some quite dominant narratives there. And obviously Netflix productions like Narcos yeah. um, kind of bolstered huge, that tendency. Yeah, such yeah. a huge popularity of that of those kinds of shows and, and availability. Yeah. But I guess rather, I mean, rather than berate, you know, rather than sort of think, oh, there's so many other things to to consider and be interested in it. It's uh, 
it obviously is a question that the students have and they want to understand it. So it's a, it's it's how we can try and, you know, do that in a in an interesting way and and fuel their curiosity, but yeah. um, retaining that that nuance and uh, and critical critical skills that we want them to bring to those to those media texts so definitely those areas I think are still so maybe using Narcos as a kind of a gateway I don't want to say gateway drug to many other films (laughs) and openings and everything else that we can look at within Latin American production I think that's actually maybe a more productive way of looking at it isn't it I guess it's a starting point perhaps and then you you can always suggest other films and and series and things that they they can engage with yeah pique their interest okay and do you think that now there are greater cross-disciplinary opportunities for visual cultures outside of language and film studies departments in universities is that something you've had experience of yes in in the sense that i think in british higher education anyway the kind of move towards knowledge exchange and impact as part of our research um, funding framework has really made a case for film and media um, to to link up with other more exact sciences perhaps and yeah. and in that sense it's it's been part of a of a shift towards the dominance of impact in our funding context and I think there's really interesting opportunities with that I myself have worked with projects in in geography but also with volcanologists currently I'm working on a project on different responses to uh, disasters and risk in Guatemala around wow. uh, volcanoes with yeah. indigenous media also. So there's there's really great opportunities there, but it is always, a, I guess, a question of balancing or, or trying to navigate those different institutional requirements and the differences between our disciplines yeah. um, mm-hmm. and also ensure that film and media aren't just kind of appendages onto some sort of science communication framework, but actually are kind of embedded as a form of knowledge production within the within the research um but yeah there's great opportunities there Mm -hmm. um it sounds that way and the other thing you're obviously heavily involved in our online conference can you tell me about the panel that you have brought together it sounds like it's going to make for a really rich conversation yeah i'm excited about that so um it will be I think the final panel of the two-day online conference in may and the 10th and 11th of may Mm -hmm. and this panel to some extent, we'll kind of think about how far the, the Spanishness has been has been questioned of the bulletin and this in, increasing engagement with indigeneity and with indigenous voices in, in research that takes place within Spanish, Portuguese, Latin American studies departments. So we have three invited speakers, Dr. Gustavo Furtado, who's based at Duke, and he will share some of his uh, ongoing research on mainly on Brazilian film in relation to the Amazon and also in relation to different archives of indigeneity. We have Dr. Amalia Cordova, who is um, based at the Smithsonian and has really a wealth of experience of uh, exhibiting and curating indigenous cinemas across Abya Yala or Latin America. And uh, finally, Dr. Maria Chiara D'Argenio, who's based at UCL, and she's she's also responsible for bringing Winyai Pacha to the to the online film program that will accompany the conference. So, she will talk about her recent book, Indigenous Plots in in 21st Century Cinema. So basically, each of them will give a short presentation on the how that how they view kind of recent developments in the field. Um, thinking about these kind of sticky entanglements um, between Spanish, Portuguese, indigenous uh, languages and indigeneity in their different institutional contexts. 
and um, and then we'll have kind of a panel a panel discussion around these questions. So yeah, I'm really I'm really excited. There's three three phenomenal scholars, very experienced researchers, bringing their their perspectives on on this field. So it should be a good a good panel. Excellent. It sounds fascinating. Thank you very much for letting us know all about it. If we can now turn to Hilary, you're director of the Sterling Maxwell Research Project at the University of Glasgow. Now, for those of us who don't know, Maxwell held the biggest collection of Spanish art in Britain during the 19th century, and he authored many academic works on the subject. His collection and archive now belongs to the University of Glasgow, and Hilary has been focused on that since 2010, which has included the publication of a facsimile critical edition copied by The Sun, as well as an exhibition at the Prado Museum in Madrid by the same name back in 2016. Could you tell me a bit about your journey and how you've become interested in this field? Well, really, I'm I'm an art historian. So my interest in Spanish art really began as a curator in Glasgow museums, where there is this very important collection, very unusual collection of Spanish art, which was formed by the scholar Sir William Sterling Maxwell in the 19th century. So really, as a result of that, that's what made me made the switch Mm -hmm. from um, specializing in Italian art to Spanish art. And then later, I did my PhD on Sterling Maxwell at the Courtauld and eventually returned to the academic life. So my research interests, one way or another, really all kind of stem from Sterling Maxwell. So they're really focused on the historiography and reception of Spanish art, especially in this country, mm-hmm. but also more broadly on the reproduction of, of art and how we really all depend on photography or prints or copies or other surrogates of original artworks um, for our knowledge Mm -hmm. of art. Mm -hmm. So really, that's how it all came about. Okay, great stuff. And Hilary, I wanted to talk to you. It's been 23 years now since you set up the Artes Iberian and Latin American Visual Cultures Group. And you set that up with others in history of art in Spanish and Hispanic studies departments and museums across the UK and Ireland back in 2000. What was the goal of this group? What sort of prompted you to set it up? That initiative to form Artes, it really came about out of my frustration at the marginalization of Spanish or Hispanic art in higher education, specifically in these islands. So in the couple of years up to 2000, I had been an external examiner at Portsmouth um, for uh, Iberian and Latin American studies. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's really what helped me to realize that there really was a lot of interest out there in visual studies, including, including art but in de- more in departments of modern languages and area studies. Mm-hmm. Whereas in history of art, Spanish or Iberian or Latin American art has never been mainstream. Mm-hmm. And also I'd been working on this video program on the Renaissance in Spain as part of a, a, a course on the Renaissance in Europe um, for the Open University. And there, amongst the team, we had some really 
pretty lively debates, let's say, about the differences in perspective and narrative that Spain offers within that story. So those really were the two things that made me decide to to sound out. Um, others about whether a new forum for people with shared interests in the visual cultures of Iberia and Latin America, whether that would be useful and also across different disciplines, professions, including museums. Yeah, fabulous. And that initiative is still ongoing, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, Yeah, it is very active. In fact, one of the people that I contacted early on was Anthony Brooke at the Walker Art Gallery in Liverpool. So she stayed with it and she's just taken over as as chair of artists. And the first person that I contacted, Holly Trusted or Marjorie Trusted at the V&A, she and I are joint vice presidents. Some are not with us anymore, like Nigel Glendinning. And he was one of the people that I contacted early on as well. Because of his study of Goya, he was very much well known, both to art historians and Hispanists alike. So he was a, a major prime mover. Mm-hmm. And also he was he was really important in helping us with our next initiative at Artis, which was that we felt that we needed uh, a new journal that reflected our interests. Because of his contacts at the Hispanic Research Journal at Queen Mary in London, it was agreed that Artis would edit a new annual issue of the HRD dedicated to visual arts Mm -hmm. and this appeared for the first time in 2007 so I really kind of feel that in many ways this initiative at Artes was paralleled by the decision a few years later at the Bulletin of Spanish Studies Mm -hmm. to launch its twice yearly sibling journal the Bulletin of Spanish Visual Studies you know, both of these things really indicate the demand that that was there and and still is very much there. I think. Okay, fabulous. And and what do you think then that the future looks like for your field? Is it is it promising? Yeah, it it. There's a number of directions that have opened up, but I'd say one future for history of art, anyway, is certainly digital, mm-hmm. because I feel the digital and virtual technologies. They offer us so many new ways to bring visual arts to much wider audiences than ever before. I think they're one of the best tools to help us communicate the continuing relevance of the arts of the past. And that would include the medieval period and the golden age in Mm -hmm. Iberia, for example. And that's one of the reasons why I suggested for our forthcoming centenary related online event in May that we focus on this aspect of the ways that digital technologies can 
can help us to connect with the art of the past and to communicate that with, with wider audiences. So we're going to have Ricardo Centellas from Zaragoza talking about a lost altarpiece by Goya, his first one which was destroyed in the Civil War. But thankfully, there were black and white photographs. And so there's a virtual reconstruction that is that has attempted to replace the colour so that we have a better idea, for example, of that, um, of that altarpiece and what it would have been mm, like. So impressive. Um, yeah. And also Rudy Rissati at Vienna in the Theatre Museum there, and Carmen Gonzalez Roman at Malaga University. They have a project on early modern festivals in the Habsburg world. And festivals are, you know, may seem really remote um, as special events in the past, they're ephemeral events, but through using the books that are the records of those events, their project really is trying to find ways to um, use this new technology to help us understand what those were like. And uh, yeah, so we're also doing, um, so uh, and now a little plug on my own project mm-hmm. um, on the Lady in the Fur Wrap because yeah. we have been attempting to reconstruct the key garments in that portrait, yeah. which are the veil um, covering the head and also the the fur wrap of the title. So with Leslie Miller, who's a specialist in textiles and fashion, yeah. and and also Lynn Gardner, who's um, they're both here at the University of Glasgow. So we're working at the moment on the uh, the fur wrap, but we also had Hilary Davidson um, working on reconstructing the veil. So uh, we'll be showing a. A video of that. In yeah, May. and that's been a fantastic project. So we really look forward to finding out more about that on the day, the 10th of May. Thank you very much for that, Hilary. One thing that we always like to do here is to ask our wonderfully creative academics what they do when those creative juices stop flowing, when you get a bit stuck. And we call this our don't try this at home tips. So Hilary, we have had some pretty wacky tips from people over the past podcast that we've had. Somebody makes pilgrimages to Charles Dickens' doorknob. Yeah, you'll have to listen back and find out. And other people listen to cumbia or very cheesy pop at ear-splitting volumes in order to prompt the their writing process. What is it that you do if you ever feel that you're a bit stuck? Well, mine are very much try at home. Um, oh, good. And they're pretty straightforward. So the first thing is to go and have a nice cup of tea. Great idea. And, um, yeah. <laughs> and then um, maybe go for a walk uh-huh. and maybe try some med- meditation. Mm-hmm. And ideally, probably all three of those and maybe in that order. Fantastic. And does that generally work? Oh, yes. <laughs> Good. <laughs> and Charlotte, can you can you give us an insight into your creative process? What do you do if you're feeling a bit stuck? I cook, I think. That's oh. probably what I do. Yeah. So do something quite procedural that yeah. you know that I can kind of focus Follow manual, instructions. Uh, get out of my get out of my head a bit. It's also creative because I very rarely follow a recipe. But ah. um 
But that, yeah, I. Um, so it's something new. It's not something that you make all the time, but something different to sort of challenge you a bit, or, or it just depends. Um, it could, yeah, it 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 depends. I think I oh. like to experiment. Sometimes it could be a whole curry feast, or yeah, different, very, lots of different elements. Oh. Um, that yeah, that normally helps me. And, I'd like and, to I mean, be around your house when you get stuck. <laughs> <laughs> You're very welcome. <laughs> I can't good. always promise that the results are, you know, optimum, but yeah. <laughs> the process is fun. That sounds great. Yeah. Okay, thank you very much. And what about you, Joe? Have you got anything else that you can throw into the mix for our listeners? Oh, lovely. I like the idea of cooking. Sadly, I don't cook that much. Um, I have two approaches depending on how much time I have so if I'm just stuck the way we all get sometimes and nothing's happening I'll set my alarm for 10 minutes and I'll just say I'm going to work on this for 10 minutes and quite often you find that after those 10 minutes you want to carry on so I narrow down the amount of time I have to write something Uh but the other one if I've got more time is I love swimming so after the first lockdown I was living in Folkestone and there's a beautiful beach called Mermaid Beach that was only about five minutes walk so as soon as we were allowed out to swim And over that first summer of the pandemic, I just carried on swimming. So now I can go swimming whatever the weather and whatever time of year. Wow. So that's my my thing that unblocks my mind. And it's kind of an internal rebooting through freezing water. That sounds wonderful. I would love that too. Well, thank you very much. And thank you very much to all of you. It's been lovely talking to a collective of such creative and inspiring women. Uh, and thank you for taking the time to talk to us today. If I can just enjoin everyone that's been listening, if you want to find out more information or to register for our online conference, please visit uh, go.qub.ac.uk forward slash Spanish Visual Studies 100 where you can register. And I'm sure you'll agree that it's been fascinating hearing about the growth of visual studies across foreign language departments in the UK and Ireland. And we're really looking forward to hearing a lot more about this at the online conference, Moving Geographies, 100 Years of, and I use the inverted commas again, Spanish Visual Studies as part of our centenary celebration. So thank you very much to everyone that has joined us today. And we look forward to hearing from you all again soon.